Hi there and good day. Welcome to North Bay's Heritage Diary. Listen up, and we shall weave for you tales of days and times gone by, which can inform today and show the way to tomorrow. This Municipal Heritage Committee podcast looks at our town, our people, and our stories. This time, we open our diary of voices from the past for a conversation with the late Lorne Fleece. This was originally recorded for the Kojiko Cable TV production Life Is and is rebroadcast in this format through the courtesy of Kojiko, your TV. Lorne Fleece was born in Kirkland Lake and spent almost 40 years with the ONR as a communications troubleshooter, among other things. Long interested in history, he was an avid researcher, author, and fact collector and worked with several North Bay Area Museum curators over the years while also serving as the ONR archivist. He passed away in 2015 at 82, not too many years after this Kojiko Life Is recording. Please excuse any outdated references. Lorne Fleece wanted to work for the railroad, and as a young man passed a 150-question examination in order to get hired. They gave me a ticket to go to Ansonville and start out. Okay, now you went to Ansonville. What exactly were you doing? You, you used the term troubleshooter. Right, yes, well... We had telephone equipment, eh? like there's uh, uh, telephone lines going from all of the communities to North Bay to go to Toronto to long distance. Right. Then there was teletypes, and then there was uh, telegraph, telegraph lines that uh, were going back and forth for telegraphs. So, but the f- job I got at the beginning was to work outside digging holes <laughs> for the telephone poles. <laughs> right. And the ironic part of it is, Pete, uh, that... Forty years later, when I went to retire there and I was at a party here, the superintendent at the time said, we got the message back in North Bay that that hole was dug the fastest they ever saw. <laughs> okay, so you did you had uh, stuff to do with, with telephone lines as well as railway communications. It was gen- general communication. That's right. Where did you learn your skills to troubleshoot? I mean, did you well, have a clue? Not, not really in that sense, but uh, if you take electrical uh, job, uh, technician job uh, training in uh, high school like they had at the time, you All learn right. a lot of the basics. Okay, and, so you uh, took shop. We took shops, that's okay, right, good. in the electrical shop and uh, graduated at grade 12. And at that time in 1949, that was a fairly good education. Yes. Because there was no colleges hardly at all. The right. only one we knew about was down in Toronto. Yes. You know? So anyway... That's the way, and, they, and what they would do at that time is they put young fellows like myself outside and learn from the ground up. So you dug the hole, then you learn to climb the pole okay. and right. the wires, and then right. inside. Okay. So that's how it uh, went and progressed at that particular time. Now you didn't you didn't do that job for very long, though. No, so I, I was outside for a year. Okay. Basically, uh, about a year, about eleven months, and then they brought me inside to do uh, uh, clerk work that they need for technical uh, uh, application, different uh, records and that sort of thing, cable records or telephone line numbers and all this uh, material. Did you, you actually were a telegrapher for a while too. Oh yes, uh, I want to bring that in. Uh, When I uh, got inside, like uh, after being there, uh, I worked at night shift and we would learn telegraphy because at night we would get messages from uh, CPR and the CNR in North Bay and uh, Toronto to there'd be a trouble and they would send the message by telegraph because okay. they had no telephone lines into our offices. We had the long distance lines but they didn't have 
because they weren't in the telephone business for long distance. They were for themselves. All right. Now, by, yeah. by telegrapher, what exactly do you mean? Well, is that you uh, send and receive messages uh, for uh, uh, commercial uses, like uh, by ordering material, and uh, also for meat. They used to send meat messages by the hundreds up to Winnipeg at that time from Curtin Lake, Timon, and North Bay. What's a meat message? They would send a five-code message, like number 975, four or something like that, mm -hmm. and that would mean send 10 pounds of uh, bologna to a certain store. Oh, all right. All so it was codes. coded. It was all Rather coded. Rather than use like, the words. Now, instead of using <laughs> the words. You weren't, were you Morse coding? Yes, I did, uh, uh, re replying to the CNR in North Bay and Toronto and, and CPR in North Bay. But because I was limited in the speed and all that and holding the fellows up, I would phone them and talk to them on the phone because I had access to telephone lines, which they didn't. Okay. So that, right. But I did learn enough that uh, I could send the odd message, but I never became real proficient because I didn't use it enough, eh? But I understood enough to get the call letters and also to send short messages. When did, when did they st stop using Morse code? Uh, it was in 60... Eight to sixty-nine, and the, that's when it started phasing out, really? because uh, it uh, they they had gone into teletypes because teletypes you send the message on a teletype uh, the tape machine uh -huh. would come out on the teletype, and then they paste that down on the paper, right? So, uh, but the telegraph was very good for short messages between stations like North Bay and Tomogamy, North Bay and and uh, Cochrane, North Bay and Timmins because they probably could send them real fast and they could type them down, eh? And they use it there. And it was also a backup if the teletypes failed. Okay. Do you ever have an emergency that you had to? Well, when the emergency mostly was when there was a train wreck, if the lines went out and we uh, had to get out and, and uh, test with the linemen to get the lines repaired, get them back up. I remember in the Hurricane Hazel in 54, the lines went out between Timmins and uh, Swastika. And Swastika was the center test point for Ontario Northland in the north because the lines come in there from Naranda, from North Bay, and from Timmins and Cochrane. So they could test all these different directions okay. Okay. In, uh, in Swastika. I remember um, uh, Mike Rodden telling stories about the value of the railroad in northern Ontario. Well, and, it was very and, valuable. Uh, and we, we, I mean, there was a couple of major forest fires, and, yes. and the, the railroad was the only way for people to get out, get yes. away. Mm -hmm. you know, um, in Cochrane itself, the station saved a whole bunch of people. It was the only building that was survived the fire really? in 19, uh, 1911, uh, no, 1916. And uh, they, they all gathered in there, and then they, it was the place people could stay while they got uh, aid and that, you know, because you were in bad weather and all this, and a place to feed everybody. Okay, you're th 37 years. What, what did you spend most of your time doing? Uh, now, this was with the O&R. Right. Or the O&R, right. Ontario Northland. Of, right. uh, and it was used, used to be called the TNNO, was it not? That is right. Right, okay. But uh, by 1946, it had been changed to Ontario Northland. Most of the time, what were you doing? Well, after uh, working at Swastika for a while, they sent me on the road, to, they worked out of Cochrane, I worked out of Cochrane for a couple of years, and then it was back to Swastika, then it was up to Timmins, 
and troubleshoot a new office there in Timmins. The office there had been opened in 1950, a new building brand new on Cedar Street in Timmins. Then in 1954, they opened a new office in Cochrane, beautiful building there. And then they, and Naranda had opened in Naranda in 1950 as well. That was a very unique thing. Ontario Northland had telephone communications in Naranda, Quebec, because it was so convenient to bring the lines in through, uh, from Naranda to Swastika okay. to okay. Montreal. Okay, okay. And then uh, from there, I, uh, was uh, asked to t take over supervision at the Nolisquid office. Then it was in Nolisquid, then Curtin Lake, North Bay, Cochrane, and back to North Bay, and here I am. <laughs> um, over the time period, your work time and your retirement time, when you started, and you, you talked about when you were a kid, how important the railroad was, uh, to see the decline of the railroad, over the ensuing 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I feel uh, sad about it, but also we love our cars so much. Eh? Everybody, when you're 18, 19, and 20, you're a young lad, boy, you just love to have a car. And so you get that car and you're on the road. So yeah. you have the freedom of being able to go across the country anywhere you want at any time you want. So railways served the purpose when there was so much isolation but it, time has gone for passenger service, but it'll always be here for freight, for, for big products, and uh, because there's no more way, economical way to tr transport material than by train. Well, why then, why don't they use that, that more often than the, the transports on the highways? I mean, you see? Be because of the coordination between the, the railways and the transport oh, companies, okay. and they just all want their own territory. Yeah. Certain, like, you know, your own turf. You don't. You don't sound bitter. You don't sound disappointed. You just sound as if that's the way it is. That's right. Because uh, I've studied history so much, and I've seen so many changes over the time, history of Canada. That uh, you know, we had the waterway before the canoe way. Yes. And then we went, eh? and then we had canals, and then now, then the railway, and and now we have the car, and uh, the car is is so basic now. What's the next step? Well, for the railway? No, for, for you talking about the, the logical progression of events from well, canoe to railroad to car. Is there another step? Well, I guess that's for the scientists. And the <laughs> 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 well, we've seen it today, a fellow flying with his car in, on TV this yeah, morning, yeah. using the parachute. <laughs> Towns along the railroad line existed because of the railroad, that is right? right? That is right. And, also for farming, eh, like there was farming communities. We must remember that because there was a farming community in New Liskert at the time yes. in 1934, it started actually in 1896, 97. But anyway, they petitioned, petitioned to get better communication to the south. There was a tote road from Witherfield Township right through the bush through to Lake Temiskaming, and then they uh, would haul stuff through there. But that was very, very rough because it was uh, mostly used in the wintertime okay. to haul supplies. Eh? And the transport during the summer was the waterway eh, from Temiskaming up along okay. uh, Lake Temiskaming and to Nolisgurt and uh, Haleberry. So the railway was, th the government was petition, petition, and then in 1902 they put the uh, act together and uh, said we'll build a railway from North Bay to some point 
on the Abitibi. All right. They didn't know where it was going to go exactly, but they had to name something in okay. the act. Yes. So they said Abitibi. So Lake Abitibi was the big center uh, in the far north. That that was the place you went to shop in uh, for two hundred years. That's where Hudson Bay place. Wade Hemsworth was working on that when he wrote the Blackfly song. Because that's, that's right on the little Abitibi. Yeah, that's right. Okay, the towns along the line. Do you have a favorite? I would say New Liskert. Okay. Yeah, because which is of, now what is it? Uh, uh, oh, Shores. Demesming Shores. Yes. That's right. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. But you have Cobalt Hillbury New Liskert, but Demesming Shores because of its uh, setup, it's a, a, sit a place where it's set and its view, and also the area around New Liskert. I like the farming, farming country. Mm -hmm. It's very, very colorful and beautiful farms, you know, and uh, to see all the silos they have, the progress over the years of the uh, wealth and the uh, economy of the area, and uh, they, it's amazing to drive all the way up and you know, through all the rock and from Cobalt and then through Tomogamy or Rocky and, you know, beautiful lake, ooh, country, then all of a sudden you climb the hill and you see the Wabi Valley. Yes. It's a, something to behold. Yes. There's a nice lookout there on the right-hand side, you get up, stop there and have right, a look. Right. You've seen it, and yes. uh, it's wonderful there. Okay. When did um, when did history start playing a role in in your life? I would say in 1972-73, when I went to back to Carpenter to work for a while as a supervisor on the communications. And I used to travel around the countryside there, and I'd see abandoned farms and places where the rivers went. And I said, there's got to be stories here, because the people lived here, and there's signs of a civilization. So what I would do is, uh, on my holidays or some time off, I would go to the archives every year to uh, Toronto and to Ottawa. And I, over the next 20 years, I uh, copied material on the Abitibi area of the of the lake and the rivers and the countryside around Cochrane. Okay, is that what these Goodwin papers are that you that, that you brought here? Yes, uh, that is a result of uh, some of that. But that came about actually in North Bay when I was in the archives here in North Bay. This chap came to visit me uh, from uh, Los Angeles uh, area, and he was looking for a doctor that had been in. Uh, in the Cochrane area, 1989, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, he, I, I took a bunch of notes down. He was talking, and I said, "Well, I haven't heard about this doctor, but I'll take your address and everything." And uh, he mentioned that uh, there was a Goodwin family at the time, and uh, I never twigged to it, but I had heard this name in my research in Toronto and Ottawa. Okay. And anyway, to make a long story short. I said, oh, two weeks later, I said, holy mackerel, I missed asking that chap the question about the good ones. So I wrote him a letter saying I hadn't found out about the doctor yet, but could he tell me more about the Goodwin family? So he said, oh, uh, he replied back, and he said, look, on my way back to uh, California, I went to New Brunswick, and I visited the Goodwin family. And he said, they have papers like you wouldn't believe about the early days from 1905 to 1908 or 10 about the uh, early days of the Abitibi region. And he says that they probably would share that. So anyway, I wrote a letter to the address he gave me, and uh, I, uh, the, uh, a good one lady there replied back, and that was the start of that, that, that book. There's 93 letters in there from Lake Abitibi. Now, 
there we go. <clears throat> now, Mr. Goodwin, Ernest Goodwin, had come to North Bay in 1905 and was at the Pacific Hotel across from uh, where the transportation building, you know, where the little park is between uh, uh, where the uh, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce is or okay. St. Regis. Right. That used to be the transportation building there. That burned down in 1962. All right. So the Transcontinental Railway people were there organizing all the building up north from from uh, Cochrane to Lasar and to Cochrane to Cap, eh, doing that survey. So Ernest Goodwin came there and he uh, got instruction to go to Englehart. So he had to go to Englehart on the work trains because the railway wasn't open yet. This is April 1905. All right. So, shall I continue? Or? Yeah, go on. Go <laughs> okay. On. So anyway, he was up there and he was in North Bay and he's writing back to his wife and he's describing all the country. So he does this for the next three years and these are the letters in the next oh, three, uh, yes, next three years. And you were lucky to get that. You want to believe it? That is true because there was a chap from the archives in Toronto who was trying to get those papers for about 10 or 15 years and they wouldn't release it to him. Why'd they give them to you? I think the timing was right because the way I wrote the letter and, and expressed how the people in Northern Ontario would enjoy having access to the knowledge of what they knew and the early days. It would paint a picture of, of yeah. not only society, but what's going on, what the weather's like, any, yes. all sorts of different things. Yes, oh yes, because Mr. Goodwin was a very highly trained person and uh, he uh, recorded the, the weather, he recorded the plants, he recorded the animals and the different the little ordinary things that normally you wouldn't put in a letter, right. and That's he did right. because he was trying to tell his wife how things were on a daily basis when they were working in the bush there surveying. Oh boy, oh boy! So, um, but anyway, is the, that the first time you did anything like that? Yes, it is. Uh, I uh, uh, printed twelve copies of that uh, report, and I, I gave them from uh, Cobalt to Cochrane. Uh, because McDougal Chute or Madison was the center point of where they worked from, the, uh, I gave three copies of that to the Madison area because of their, their importance of it to them. Are you going to do anything like this again? I'm trying to do a little one on uh, tomogamy because in 1955, I was here in North Bay in March of 55, and they asked me to cut over the dial exchange in tomogamy and uh, from magnetophones to, to, uh, to uh, tomogamy there. And uh, uh, while I was there, I was writing my girlfriend, who is now my wife, Rita. Okay. And she saved 23 letters that I wrote to her right. from Tomogamy and North Bay in 1955. And I'm going to put that in a little uh, manual for their 100th anniversary. Okay. Um, you're, you're interested in history. You've done some research on, on, on history. You, you, you know the story. The ONR itself, the ONR used to have a... Uh, that uh, Lumber Building on Oak Street was there. Those their archives. Yeah, and you've, the worked, you've worked in the archives, right. and they're no longer there. No. Um, the telecommunication branch is in there. Yeah, the 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 Ontario is in there now. Okay. They're using it. What do you do with all this stuff? This these papers that, that the ONR papers. What are they going to? Are they going to be? Are they going to continue to exist, or are they just going to molder away and disappear? I That's just typical of all sorts of other different. 
Right. Well, I would say it would still exist because uh, there's such a an important pro uh, pro play. They play such an important role in Northern Ontario in their communications and their transportation and their bus service. And uh, it doesn't seem like anybody else is interested in taking it over because it, yeah. it's not. It's a, it, at times it's not very profitable, but it's a very essential thing to keep. And it the takes North up open. space. It takes up valuable space. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I know Bob Surtees, like Bob Surtees wrote a book on the ONR, and yeah. he spent, I don't know how much time in the ONR archives yeah. researching that sort of thing. I took him on a, a tour of Northern Ontario when he started that book. Okay. Did different places, and we interviewed about 10 or 15 people. Right. To get right. started. Do you think the railroad can ever make a comeback? Not, not the way we knew it. It'll never make it come back like that, but it'll always be there as a transportation arm. Like the Kid Creek uh, smelter in, in Timmins, uh, it wouldn't exist unless the railway was there. It has to have that product of sulfur used up as a uh, manufacturer, and all the material that goes in and out of that uh, smelter is, is uh, by the railway. Eh? It couldn't be handled by cars, and tr I mean trucks, because it it would just pound the road to, to, to nothing. Well, trucks already do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're interested in the history of the whole area. Right. Right? Yes. Okay. Are you going to, I mean, you're, you're, you've done this, uh, the, the Goodwin Papers, you've done uh, Pioneers of Kirkland Lake, and that was the, the street that you basically grew up on in Kirkland Lake, yes. which included the, the, the Duff family. Yes. Um, what, what else is Lauren Fleece going to do? Well, or is he going to do anything? Well, no, I'm going to keep going because I find it keeps me active. In fact, I find that now my memory is better than it was 20 years ago because really? I'm using it so much <laughs> because I am so active in, in research. Yes. And the thing is, on my computer, I have about 270 entries, and these are telephone calls or letters or emails from different people from 1990. 293 to the present. Okay. And uh, I pass on information and I have recorded that as some almost like a diary, a yearly diary of uh, contacts. And uh, that is very valuable information because it also contains a lot of material about different things in Northern Ontario. Mm -hmm. I like the whole North because I worked the whole North. When I was a troubleshooter and a maintenance foreman and that in the Ontario Northland, I worked from North Bay to Attawabascat and from Attawabascat, I mean from uh, Val d'Or to Longlac. So I worked the whole system, and okay. I worked in places that the railway didn't run because okay. we had communication. And I have a, a, a love for Northern Ontario because it's a tremendous place. There's places that people don't, never see that are so uh, unbelievably uh, colorful and, and, and interesting. But the thing is that I'm only one person. But the point is, I get these recalls, and I try and help people on a volunteer basis, mm -hmm. and I give them leads on what they can find. Some. So you, uh, you set yourself up, and rightfully so, as a resource, right? Rather than going ahead and and, and doing a major project for yourself, yeah. you will help Joe or Sam or Abigail to work their Northern Ontario project. Right. Yeah, yeah. The CBC uh, 
Dan B. Arneson came to my place and uh, the CBC came and photographed uh, a, a bunch of video, uh, videotaped a bunch of my material for a thing they were doing on the ONR, Ontario Northland. Okay. And I was very pleased to meet Dan B. Arneson. He's a tremendous uh, announcer like in the old days and he's sort of retired now. But, uh, and they came to the house because of that. I, you know, and also I've met some very interesting people and uh, they appreciate what you try to do for them. Mm -hmm. Because it, they're, they're, the history of that, uh, the Canada should be recorded and kept because it allows the younger generations to understand what happened in the past. And you're, I see you, you noticed you're working on the computer too, so you're not a Luddite like I am. Right. Well, I use it mostly as a word processor, but I use yes. it naturally for email because it's so handy. Is there something you want to do for yourself, Some a project that you really want to work on, that you think about, or, or are you content to, to just help, as I said, the uh, people who need well, help? Well, I would like to finish this demogamy one with the letters of uh, my wife's uh, back and forth in 1955. I'm mm -hmm. working on that now. And uh, I have a lot of material gathered, but I have to sit down and, and start writing. I've gathered a lot of material. What's what you enjoy doing most? The gathering of your research material, which you can file away and help other people with, or do you do you, do you have any any do you get any enjoyment out of writing these things down? I have a very difficult time with writing. Ah, I'm, I'm a researcher. Okay. I'm just like Christopher Columbus, Columbus finding North America. And when I find something that I'm looking for or some unique I, uh, idea or subject, I, I think I've just uh, conquered the world because okay. It's, okay. it's there eh? and that, uh, I can pass it on and I can record it. Can you remember something that you found that gave you that feeling? Pardon me? Again? Can you remember something that you found that gave you that feeling of joy, that something you were hunting for for a long time? and and finally found, or got a key to? Well, I was uh, like on the family, uh, finding out uh, different members of the family that uh, way back in research, uh, uh, the, the uh, great-grandfather and them, uh, their names and that, and, that, and some of the, the material on them in, okay. in the uh, archives in, in Ottawa, in genealogy. I looked at that for a while as well. So that's another branch of what, you, what you're yes, interested in. Yes, but I'm genealogy. not into it to a big degree because it's a, a massive subject in itself. It certainly <laughs> is. What's been the reaction to, to, to Lauren Fleece, the historian? Good? Well, I, I think that uh, most people have uh, appreciated what they've done. I, uh, a lot of senior people like somebody that will listen to their stories oh, and, uh, yes. and appreciate what yes. they have gone through. And we all are unique. Every one of us has a story to tell. And they might be very humble, but in that very humble story, you might get a key thing that really sets up the story for you. Absolutely. And uh, everybody's important, and uh, from the lowliest man to the highest. This edition of our Heritage Diary Voices from the Past was originally recorded for the Kojiko Cable TV production Life Is, and is rebroadcast in this format through the courtesy of Kojiko Your TV. Our guest, Lauren Fleece, passed away in 2015. Thank you for spending some time with us and listening to our stories. These productions are put together by the North Bay Municipal Heritage Committee not only to retell old tales, but hopefully to kindle interest in area history. Local lore is important to any community, 
we shouldn't let it go unremarked and unremembered. Views expressed in this podcast, not necessarily those of the Corporation of the City of North Bay or its employees. Join us next time when we flip another page of the diary of our shared past. You can reach us at peter.corello at cityofnorthbay.ca. Production, Keely Ducharme. Pete Handley speaking.